Yes. Okay. So we will do uh, a short excerpt from The Little Dragon, which is my newest children's book um, that I have out right now. I'll hold up the illustrations while she's here. Okay. Oh. All right. In a whimsical land beyond the sparkling sea lived a happy-go-lucky little dragon. He spent his days in the meadow watching the carefree clouds drift by. At night, he loved sleeping in his comfy cave and dreaming under the starry sky. Adorable. That's adorable. It is. <laughs> the little dragon treasured time on his own, exploring, thinking, and most of all, dancing. One day, while he was in the middle of a particularly expressive dance among the daisies, he was startled to discover that he wasn't alone. Someone was watching and giggling while hiding behind a tree at the edge of the meadow. The little dragon felt scared and embarrassed. He immediately stopped and froze in place, wondering who or what was watching him and how long they'd been there. Panicked, the little dragon sensed something hot and horrible rumble in his belly. It rolled up through his chest, throat, and face. It was monstrous and overtook him as he thought about how ridiculous he must have looked dancing around and how unfair it was not to know that someone was there. Hmm. Is that excellent? His chest and face inflamed. It felt like a giant balloon was about to explode from the inside. The heat burned his eyes and nose. He opened his mouth to gasp for air and a big curl of fire blazed out along with a mighty roar. The giggling stopped. Through the eerie silence, he could hear his heart pounding. The little dragon had never experienced this sensation before. What had just happened? He looked up and saw that he had scorched the side of a beautiful tree. He loved the flower-filled meadow. What if his angry burst of fire had burned it all away? Feeling shocked and ashamed, the little dragon ran home and curled up in his cave. He flopped down onto his cozy cushion and wrapped his long, scaly tail around himself, covering his face. What should I do, he wondered. Should I hide in this cave forever? Maybe I can move to a land far away where no one will laugh at me. But what if I leave and someone ruins my special meadow? He couldn't stand the thought of something happening to his happy place. Feeling the need to protect it, he devised a plan. Well, you know, Alexa, I, in my years of um, teaching and presenting at writers' conferences, of course, mm -hmm. I meet a lot of writers and a lot of people that are at various stages of the process. Well, uh, a little over 10 years ago in San Diego, um, this young lady came to the writers' conference right. and she had a background in corporate marketing and she wanted to, you know, she came to learn the process of being a writer, not only the process of writing or in a particular genre, but also the mm -hmm. business of writing. And um, here we are a decade later, and and Sherry Fink is now a, a multiple best-selling children's author. Yes. And and on the other side of LA, um, there's a young man named Derek Taylor Kent, who's who's just got a, had a diverse background in um, acting, performing, uh, directing, mm -hmm. and so forth. And he became a best-selling middle grade children's book mm -hmm. writer. So, you know, so young chapter book writer. 
And then five years ago or so, they joined forces, not only as a writing, as a, you know, as a writing team or yes. what have you, but also as a couple couple. Mm -hmm. And, um, and from that has, <laughs> from that, we now come to 2021 and whimsical world and this amazing, they're like the scholastic book fair by themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, and very talented duo. That's yeah, for sure. that's right. So with with that, we'd like to introduce um, Derek Taylor Kent and Sherry Fink. Thank you so much for being on Front Page Pass. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Robert. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're thrilled to be here. And you know, we're the last have you guys. Yeah, and I, I, you know, and I've seen you here and there the last few years at different conferences, and of course, we we all keynoted together at the Missouri Writers Conference. So my first question for both of you is going to a whimsical world event it's it's a it's an experience it's not a book signing necessarily it's just not it's not just a book signing it's not just a bunch of kids that you go and talk to or read to or sign to but it's an experience and um so tell us a little bit about how you came up with whimsical world and then when the two of you got together how how you've turned it from being kind of a little kids thing to a right through elementary school event yes. that covers all the grades that's a good question yeah. Well, when we first met, we were both successful children's authors mm -hmm. and we had our own unique brands. Derek is known for his laugh out loud, make kids fall in love with reading because they're having so much fun mm -hmm. reading, you know, and I'm known for my social emotional learning, which empowers kids to improve their self-esteem as they're reading the books. So we took the two of those specialties and we blended them together to create something bigger and better than what we could have accomplished on our own, which we call a whimsical world. And our mission is to inspire, delight, and educate children of all ages while planting seeds of self-esteem and high achievement. And we do that through our mm -hmm. books, through our live experiences, mm -hmm. through our talks, through our merchandise, through everything that we do. Um, we get to really bring that out. And like you said, like we love to create an experience. So I like to say we want our experiences with our fans to be magical, meaningful, and memorable. So sometimes, you know, I'm a mermaid. Sometimes we have a little baby unicorn there. Sometimes we have a special backdrop for a photo opportunity. You know, we just try to, to really make it as immersive as possible so that the child not only has fun, but learns something hopefully about themselves and falls that much more in love with reading. Before I came along, it was just the whimsical world of Sherry Fink. <laughs> so when I got involved, uh, I guess we kind of incorporated a lot of my books into it because they happened to to work really well with hers um, in terms of uh, the the audience. I had I was writing picture books. I was kind of but yeah. in totally different uh, messaging and uh, and content. So my like I was kind of most well known in picture books for my bilingual books that are written in English and Spanish that kind of help kids to learn both languages. Mm. Uh, and I also was specializing in STEM books. I like uh, science a lot, so I'd incorporate a lot of science into my books, like Simon and the Solar System. It teaches them all about the planets, and even Principal Mikey, my middle grade book, is a STEM book for uh, the middle grade audience, like ages seven to twelve. Mm -hmm. So she had her social emotional learning and self esteem angle. And I, then I kind of had my educational high achievement angle that we kind of, so we kind of were able to weave them both together in uh, uh, this grand purpose of getting kids to fall in love with reading. Mm -hmm. and, and also when I first started, I was writing for ages primarily four to 10. 
And Derek was writing primarily, but he writes in so many different ages, mm -hmm. um, for middle grade readers. So he had, you know, a little bit older reader than me. And since then, um, since we founded the company together, we've expanded it. So we now have a baby board book. We have concept books like Alphabet and Counting. Oh, wow. We have, of course, our picture books, the bilingual books for the Coloring young books. kids. Coloring books for <laughs> kids of all ages. Um, we have the middle grade and we've both written books for adults as well. And what we find is that as much as the kids are the fans, we have a ton of adult fans that we love that are so excited to see us when we come to events. And we always try to make it special for them as well. Yeah. It's interesting that you guys target um, all those different age groups too, because, you know, as a kid grows up, they can, you know, read each, each theme throughout. So it's pretty interesting. Um, so if you guys could kind of tell me the, um, a bit about the importance of not only writing a compelling and heartfelt story, but just how showmanship kind of comes into play, um, just, you know, with the atmosphere you all got, you two kind of create and the illustrations, costumes, et cetera, just kind of that feel you were talking about, Sherry. Yeah. I come from a background of children's theater. I was doing children's theater for a long time. Uh, I was doing theater, I, I wrote and directed a musical that was kind of a family, a family musical that ran for a while in LA called King Calamari. Uh, and I used to do public theater for kids or we do crazy kid shows on weekends for uh, the kids to come and attend for free just to get them exposed to theater and what that's like. Uh, so I just always uh, loved bringing that performance angle mm -hmm. and uh, entertaining and making kids laugh. Uh, that's kind of why I started writing was because I loved making kid my friends laugh who were kids like <laughs> me at the time. But as I grew older, I was still really good at it, making my friends laugh, but mostly making kids laugh. Yeah, Derek's hilarious. <laughs> so. Kids love him. Like, he will do anything. He will fling himself onto the floor. Yeah. He, will, he will make the most crazy sound yeah. effects when he's reading his books, you yeah. know? And were you going to say more? Oh, I don't. Yeah. So when I brought, um, I, maybe the books were just an excuse to get to be able to perform more because uh, I would go do my school visits. I created whole shows around the books. Like, I really don't even do readings anymore. I actually have a show where I do uh, interactive choose your own adventures where like we're making up the story as we go along and I can incorporate some of the char characters and themes from the books, but I, the readings were just kind of too boring for me. I wanted to do something totally different that the kids hadn't seen before. Uh, so we do that for my scary school series and principal Mikey, we get them to solve a mystery together. Uh, kind of just like, it's like something Mikey does in the book. So this, they get an idea of what it's kind of like, but not necessarily needing to just do a reading. Uh, and Sherry had an amazing show that she brought, brings a lot of emotion and messaging into it. So we're able to combine both of our strengths um, when we create our shows for school visits and events. Yeah, and I think if, you're, if your books pour from your heart, so should your presentation. You know, when you're speaking to kids, they can tell if you aren't being genuine. They just sense it. But they look at me and they see the eight-year-old girl that I really am inside. <laughs> and so it makes it fun, you know? It's like, it's talking to them not as a grown-up who's like pointing the finger, do this, do that. It's more like, guys, wouldn't it be fun if blah, blah, blah? Like, and they're like, yeah, you know? Yeah, well, I was telling our team here today, this morning, that I remember distinctly going at the LA Times Festival of Books about three years ago, this little just shy as could be little four-year-old came up to you and you had on you you're wearing rainbow hair that day and um and she came up to you and she was just you know she wasn't really ready to have make a connection with you but she was drawn by your hair and i just watched you draw her in 
And what I watched was you become four. And, <laughs> and then you start telling her a little story. And all of a sudden, you know, then she runs off and two seconds later, there's her mom and they're getting ready to buy books. You know, it's just, it was amazing. I mean, just, it's, and, and it's just, it's such an experience when you, when you two perform and you present. Um, but Derek, I had a question for you. Um, when I read your books, when I look at them, one thing that just strikes me is you had to be the kid in the classroom that took in everything that everyone was doing, not just what the teacher was doing, but just all the little quirky, whimsical things that other kids were doing because it just it just feels like you're just you know besides being in the flow of the stories all the it just feels like that kid in the classroom that just observes everything were you that kid yeah i think so I, think about <laughs> I was definitely always quiet and uh shy uh but i've always kind of known as the writer kid. like i love writing stories that's kind of where my personality came out was mm -hmm. when i was able to write and share my stories uh, I like reading the dictionary in class and free reading time to learn words, but, uh -huh. uh, but you are right. There are a lot of the characters in books, especially a scary school series are definitely based on kids and teachers that I had very, very much directly. So in some cases, <laughs> I always have a bank of every, every kid I ever, teacher I ever had that I definitely draw upon when I do, when I write. <laughs> yeah. And um, so your background is in children's theater. Sherry, yours is a little bit different. I know you have roots um, in West Virginia, which is right next to where we're- um, Virginia. Virginia, excuse me. Um, and so I guess my question for and then you were in corporate marketing and then you made your career jump, um, like I mentioned at the outset about 10 years ago. Um, could you talk, did Southern, the, the whole Southern storytelling um, culture, did that influence you in any way? And if so, how? I just, as a kid, I was always like making things up and telling my mom, write this down. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was making little books when I was a little girl, you know, before I knew anything, I was just telling stories. So I don't know if it, if it was an immersion in Southern culture or if it was just a wild creative imagination, you know, that, um, that just wouldn't quit. You know? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, uh, so I was going to ask, do you got, like, what do you all do exactly to kind of get into the imaginative mindset of a child somewhat in order to capture their essence and make sure that it really resonates with the, the kids, you know, which are your, your all's audience? Well, I, uh, I guess it helps when you don't really grow up and you still feel like a kid inside. <laughs> there's that, there's that. A childlike <laughs> nature and quality, the way you view the world. I kind of was told that my whole life, that I kind of view the world through a child's eyes. My mom was the same way. She's an artist and she her, her whole style was called naif, which is like painting the world through a child's eyes. Um, so I think that uh, I had formative years as a kid, especially like when I was around the age 11 was kind of like my creative blossoming when I would, mm. I had an amazing teacher who would uh, allow us to write uh, extra credit assignments as much as we wanted to and perform skits. So like we had ongoing TV shows in classroom that we would write and perform every day <laughs> what we were uh, learning. And so I, when I'm given the opportunity to be creative, uh, I kind of always revert back to that. I feel, I still feel like that, that kid inside. And so some, that's right. why in the scary school series, my narrator is an 11 year old kid. Uh, named Derek the ghost. He's like an 11 year old ghost version of me who lives at scary school that helps me get into that uh, character's voice and be able to write, uh, write like how they talk and think. Yeah. And I think for me, I think 
it's similar, whereas I've never fully grown up, but it's, <laughs> it's also like, I think about what are the things that I'm going through? What are the life experiences that I'm having? And then how would I translate that to a child? Like, how could I make it friendly enough so that it's approachable, but understandable on their level, on the deeper level, you know? Um, so that's why like in my books, in the, the little series, there's like messages embedded that don't hit you over the head, but as you're reading and as a kid, like if you're having fun, like if you love unicorns and you pick up a unicorn book, you're just having fun, right? And you can see yourself through the eyes of the character. And my goal is that you actually discover something special about yourself as you're reading it. Just kind of like a, oh, oh, that is a different way of thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I think- that, yeah. That <laughs> yeah. And I, I just want to add that this goes a lot deeper than that. At their wedding, which four <laughs> years ago, they uh, they had a storybook door. fairy tale <laughs> wedding, and they actually had a unicorn there. No kidding. I'm not kidding. Wow. True story. A real <laughs> unicorn. Yeah, we had a mermaid <laughs> unicorn cake too. Wow. Here's a picture of it. Whoever edited in this photo. Send you a photo. Yeah. So, um, Sherry, what what gave you? Um, how can you tell us take us through the genesis of the whole whimsical world concept from when when you started it before you know Derek um, came came and became your partner and your husband. Sure. So about 10 years ago, I released my first book, The Little Rose, mm -hmm. and you know, I hoped for the best. I just really wanted to help kids with their self esteem. So that book was really an anti bullying message about mm -hmm. being a rose, even if the weeds don't understand you always embracing mm -hmm. the beautiful person you really are inside. Exactly. And I published that book and I thought, okay, well, that's going to be a one and done. You know, now I can move on to whatever my next marketing job is going to be. But then that book became a number one bestseller on Amazon in its category. And it stayed at number one for over 60 weeks. Right, wow. right. Yeah, that was amazing. Was like, okay, well, that was pretty cool. And then I kept getting another idea and it was the little gnome. And I kept seeing his little rosy cheeks and his yellow hat in my mind's eye. And I was like, okay, well, I guess... I guess I'm just going to take some time and write this story and see what happens. But by the time that I was about to release the second book, I thought, well, in the marketing world, when I was working for companies, we would build a brand. You know, there would be an mm -hmm. umbrella mission that everything that we do would fall under. And so I thought, well, what, what kind of brand would I want? And I said, well, I want everything whimsical. I love magical things, you know, like, that's how I choose what merchandise we create. I'm like, what do I want? I want a Whimsical World lunchbox. All right, let's make that, you know? And so as a building the brand, the first word I came up with was Whimsical. And I was like, okay, the Whimsical World of Cherry Pink. That sounds good. All right, we'll do that. <laughs> it was pretty simple. You know? and, and you've had a you've had a similarly successful career path, Derek. You your books have, you've had several number one books as well as, as Sherry. Um, and but you, but you started out. If I if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started out with scary stories, and and that was published by Harper Collins, correct? Right. And then you were, and then that was that they were bestsellers. Um, and so, could, tell us about how you know, like Sherry was obviously very surprised that her first book became a number one bestseller. What about you? <laughs> uh, my books tend to took a little bit longer uh, to kind of gain momentum. I had to do a lot of grassroots efforts to get them to kind of catch on and get them out there. Uh, a lot of times this happens in the publishing. When you go with a publisher, you know, you have like a lot of high expectations, but then they may not necessarily 
put as much into the book as you think they will is because they have very, very limited budgets and resources, especially mm -hmm. for new authors. This is my first published book. Um, so I just kind of got out there and did all kind of became my own publicist where I mm -hmm. sent it to every reviewer out there who was reviewing books. And I started booking school visits and kind of became kind of known as like the person to go to for middle grade, anyone who wanted middle grade school visits out there. I was doing them almost every day. I was running around doing wow. these things. Um, so I was, and I mean, I was doing that for years. Uh, and then I had my, my second publishing book was El Perro con Sombrero, which opened up uh, my bilingual picture book, which opened up a whole new avenue. Now I had the younger kids and I had a lot of so I, I wanted to write that because I was visiting so many schools and so many of them were dual immersion schools. And they said they had a real need for bilingual books that were written in English and Spanish. They just didn't have them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I realized there was a there was a need for that. And I, I had, at the same time, I happened to get our little doggy Xander. <laughs> uh, I was very inspired to write a book about him and his uh, crazy personality. So that became a whole book series in itself. Yeah, Derek is the hardest working traditionally published <laughs> author I've ever met. <laughs> he, he works just as hard as the indie authors, in some most cases harder. Uh-huh. That's good. Yeah. I, I was gonna ask about that. It's pretty intriguing, really. You guys kind of took two set different set paths, I guess, you know, the traditional publishing route and then the independent. So if you guys can kind of talk about the contrast of that, I guess, um, as far as your journeys are concerned, um, I'd be really interested to hear about that. Like our well, I think for me, like I went indie because Number one, I had to do it fast because if I had to wait to like try to woo an agent and get a publisher and do all that stuff, I was definitely going to chicken out. I knew I would. So I was like, let me just do this as quickly as I can and just get it out and see what happens, you know, making a lot of mistakes, but, you know, learned along the way. Um, and I have always had this like entrepreneurial spirit. Like, even when I was a kid, my Barbies were starting businesses. Like, <laughs> I don't know where I got it from. My parents are like, why can't you play like a normal kid? You know, <laughs> but, but I've just always had that. And I was used to a corporate environment that had structure and, you know, where I was helping other people sell things and make money off of it and, and iterating along the way. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, I have no experience in books, but maybe I could use some of that, um, you know for good, for the good of children. So marketing mindset, just, really. Yeah. And I wasn't yeah. anti-traditional publishing, but I had learned a little, just, just enough about it to know that it was going to take a long time. And when I would ask authors offstage at conferences, like off the record, if you could do it over again, what would you do differently? Almost every single one would look over their shoulder swear me to secrecy and say, mm -hmm. I would do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I could do it myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I just, now I have, I have my 14th book coming out in September and it's just been my path. And it's been great because there's a lot of advantages for indie as there are also advantages to traditional. Right. But, you know, when you own your rights, you can choose what you do with it. You decide the fate of your creativity. And well, yeah, so and I, I, yeah, and I think one of the, the purest, the purest um, and most impressive things about both of you is you both, you know, you both obviously have really strong inner childs and um, and you're able you're just able to just carry that out and carry it forward from the heart out. And um, I mean, that's just wonderful because so many, you know, so many other writers, you know, even, even if someone's, a, a, you know, just as a kid at heart, they might get into really serious fiction or something, you know, and it's um, 
but that that's just really impressive. And and I do want to tell our our, our viewers and our listeners mm -hmm. that uh, Sherry and Derek are two of the hardest working authors out there. I mean, before the pandemic, you always were on the road. You always had presentations and stuff going on. And um, do you ever? I mean, I know you get physically tired. Obviously, you can't help it with as hard as you two work. Um, but um, what what keeps you so inspired to keep driving so hard? even now that you're both um, incredibly successful at what you do? Uh, I think it's because we're really, I think we feel like we're still actively building our, our brand and our business. And when we're doing the non-pandemic time shows, uh, it feels like two, three times a week, we, you know, we're waking up at four in the morning, driving two to three hours to right. for this school visit and that one, or doing our long road trips for days <laughs> to, uh, wherever in the country has the the event we're invited to. So uh, I think it would, we, you know, we think we have a vision for our brand and I think we're, we're trying to get it out there because we're doing this independently. We don't have the resources like the big publishers would have to get it all over the country. Knowing that we want to do that, I think it motivates us to to get up and do all these as many events as we can. Yeah. And we're creators at heart. You know, we each have mm -hmm a whole list of projects that are waiting in our pipelines that we just we're just like okay well once we get this book out like we already know what's coming in 2023 wow like, we already know we've already planned it out like, you guys have never been on inspiration yeah it's, it's <laughs> just awesome. when, like on days when i feel like you know what i i'm tired i want to stay in bed and whatever i think about like you know what when i get up in the morning and i do my job kids believe in themselves and they go for their dreams like Yes. What more could you ask for, right? Like it's right. motivation. It's like, oh, of course I can do it. And if I can do it, they can do it too. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And then um, kind of going to the kids side of things, um, what for a question for each of you, um, what were, what are one or two of the most just heartfelt, meaningful experiences that you've ever had with a kid and interactions with a kid, whether it be you know, reading along with them or doing something at one of your events. What what just stands out for you is just something that blew you away. Oh my gosh, I'm already tearing up. Um, well, before the pandemic happened, <laughs> I was volunteering to go to the children's um, pediatric ICU at Children's Hospital. Mm. And I would go room to room to the kids who were in isolation. And um, I've been going for years and so, uh, to the point where sometimes the nurses would ask the family like, oh, is it okay? Um, do you mind if this patient is receiving chemo while you're in the room? And mm. I was just so honored, you know, mm. like what a what a special moment to be helping a child, you know? Um, so there was one particular kid who had been in the hospital forever. Like I had been going for years and I swear she was there all the time. Mm. And she had almost all of my books. She had all but two. Mm. And I like made sure I brought the one that she didn't have. And I went in and she um, she was in a situation where they, you had to have a mask, a gown, mm -hmm. um, gloves, all those things, which make it super hard because I'm in a wig as well, you know, and I'm trying to read a book and I'm trying to turn the pages with the gloves and I've got the mask and I'm just like, oh my God, I hope I'm not blowing this for this poor little girl. Like I really <laughs> want it to be good for her. And so I read her the story and I gave it to her and her grandfather, he was like, oh, thank you so much, you know? And I, I left the room and you have to dispose of everything before you leave the room because it's, you know, to, to avoid contamination. And you, I came out in the hallway and I was reading to another child and I came out of that room and her grandfather was standing out there and he said, 
oh, I'm so sorry to bother you, but would you mind coming back and taking a photo with her? It would be so mm. special. And I was like, oh, I don't mind at all. So I went back and I put the mask, put the new mask on, put the new gloves on, put the gown on. <laughs> 10 minutes later, I'm getting the picture. And her mom, he sent it to her mom and she posted it on Facebook. And she said that her daughters had such a challenging journey. And like having me pop in and see her at the hospital, like just brightened her day so much. Like she kept talking about it on the phone with her that night. And I like... The next time that I went, I didn't get to see that that girl, but I knew she was there and I knew which book she was missing. So I went after I did my visit, I went all the way back to the parking lot, which was a hike there. And I got the book and I gave it to my handler at the hospital. And I said, please make sure she gets this book. I signed it, personalized it for her. So now she has the whole collection. Awesome. You know? So that, I don't know, there's just so many... Um, so many things that are special about that that people just don't see you know mm -hmm. we don't post about everything that we do um but that moment has just really stayed with me i'm still emotional mm -hmm. about it even just now that's understandable yeah. we are just hearing about it so i mean absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah and how about you derek i think my my favorite thing that i hear sometimes you know whether people email me or come find me at shows is that uh parents will oftentimes write to me and say you know what like my kid hated reading. <laughs> I couldn't get him to read no matter what, but then they read Scary School or Principal Mikey or mm -hmm. whatever my book was. And now I can't get them to stop reading. They realize <laughs> that books can be fun and funny. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of how I, that was like my ultimate goal with, with these books. Cause I was kind of a reluctant reader at first myself until I realized that, until I found the right books that, it, that spoke to me or that made me laugh. So I just love humor so much. And so I wanted to make kids just laugh like crazy reading books. Yeah. That just puts the positive association in their brain that reading can make them feel good and make them um, learn fun things, make mm -hmm. them happy. You know, it doesn't have to be a chore or an assignment. You know, reading should be fun. And that just sets them up for a lifetime of reading success and life success, I think. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, like you, uh, well, I wasn't a reluctant reader. I started reading when I was four and I fell in love. And I was, you know, I was a little kid at the summer reading club that filled my arms and my mother's with books and made her, you know, six year old little kid making his mom just pile up and leave, you know, trying to win that summer reading contest. But one thing that strikes me about about you, both of you is um, in a certain way is you know, 20 years ago when the Harry Potter series came out, J.K. Rowling by herself reinvigorated reading for a lot, for millions, you know, of kids. And then, of course, they became movies. But you, in a certain way, you remind me of that because I just look at your books, um, respective age groups and so forth. And you, I would think if I'm a kid, it's impossible to not want to read one of your books. <laughs> and, and that's saying a lot in this day and age of streaming and screens and right. phones and everything else. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to ask a little bit of the technical aspects and ask a little bit about your writing processes. So um, do you guys really plan each book out uh, from the beginning, kind of have a set path? Do you start out with a specific character or a theme? I mean, um, how, how exactly does that unfold? Does the book just kind of flesh itself out or do you guys have like a set? Let's path? see. Uh, I think it can depend. I definitely love to plan and uh, each sheet and outline as much as possible before I start okay. writing, especially my novels. A lot of times I'll start with a title. It seems like a lot of um, scary school, my homework ate my dog, even Principal Mikey, I think all started with like a title coming into my head and then kind of asking 
just a series of questions around that, like a scary school, like, oh, why would a school be scary? Why, uh, how would that work? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what would be, what kind of monsters would be there? Would there be kids, human kids there too? Why would they let this happen? <laughs> what, if kids, what if teachers ate the kids? Oh, that'd be kind of funny if you think about it. Um, <laughs> so I kind of think I ask questions and try and then try and find the humorous angle to it. And yes, I love spending, you know, I'll usually spend even a lot more time beating it out before I actually start writing. So in the writing process is a lot easier for me if I have everything kind of, I know exactly what's going to happen while giving myself the freedom to veer off from it if I have a different or interesting idea while I'm going. Yeah, Derek is definitely a plotter <laughs> and I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm a pantser because I fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> but I do start with the character. Like I, I know what the character is going to be and I sometimes I'll have a feel for what the message is going to be, but sometimes I don't. I just start writing and I'm like, oh, it's about adaptability and looking for the good and change. That's cool, you know? Um, but my newest one that's coming out in September, which I haven't announced the title yet, um, which will be announced shortly after this interview airs, parents were writing to me during the pandemic early on and saying, my kids are all of a sudden afraid of the dark. Do you mm. have anything for them? And I was like, well, I have something about being afraid and being embarrassed and that kind of thing. But I started thinking like, okay, well, what, what could I write that would be super fun about being afraid of the dark? And I came up with the idea of what if it was a little monster and he's afraid of the dark, right? Oh, that's <laughs> wow, that's great. And then, yeah, and like, what if he had to learn to, to have fun in the dark and to relax and sleep in his own room for the first time, you know? And how can I make that super fun? So one of the things that's going to be um, a feature of that book is that it glows in the dark. So, nice. so think about it, like you're reading it with yeah. a child, right? Holding a flashlight <laughs> on the page and the kid is going to say, turn the light out because they after each page, because they want to see what glows on it. Mm -hmm. So it's like a ninja move to help kids start wanting to have the light off. <laughs> Psychology went into that, yeah. it seems like. Yes. Well. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to imagine that as as awesome as as uh, Sherry and Derek are live and doing these presentations. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and I mean, they are really booked. You know, when they're out oh, yes, and about, it, they're totally booked. It's really hard to get a day with, date with them. But um, but it's hard to believe you've been off the you've been off for sixteen months because of the pandemic. Well, next um, this weekend, uh, you know, June twenty sixth and twenty seventh, I believe. They're going to be in Denver, Colorado. This is going to be their first big event in that right. long. And could you tell us a little bit about that? And you, you two must be just jumping out of your seats, excited <laughs> to be back out on stage. Yes, um, it is the Unicorn Festival. And uh -huh. I like to say it's the most magical event in North America. And <laughs> it's going to be so awesome, not only because we're headlining it, but also because one of my favorite authors as a kid is co-headlining it. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes. And who is that? Stephen Cosgrove. Okay. He's the author of Morgan and Me, which is his famous unicorn book, and mm -hmm. Leo the Loft, which was my favorite book. And I'm super excited to meet him in person for the first time. <laughs> We've exchanged emails and I'm just, oh, I just can't wait to buy all of his books <laughs> in person. <laughs> and we're also, so in addition to having a cool pop-up shop with all of our whimsical merchandise and books and meet and greets and <clears throat> readings and all the standard things that we, uh, that we bring, we are also going to have a corral next to our shop that has a little unicorn 
Oh, oh, that's just like the character from my book. The one right behind you there. Yeah, yeah right behind us too. <laughs> yeah, it looks like we have mirror, almost mirror image backdrops here in a certain well, kind of. Not, not quite, but you know, same idea. Yeah. 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 So it's super end. exciting. This is my first time at the festival. Sherry did it a couple of years ago and I, I couldn't go that time. So it was her, her first time doing a show without me since we've been together. Mm -hmm. um, but it was so great. He said, like, you have to go next time. You absolutely cannot miss it. So like, I staked it out and made sure nothing was possibly scheduled for this weekend uh, so I could do it this time. And I'm so excited to be there. I'll be doing a, uh, some shows. Uh, I'm in, like, the scary, they're doing spooky a spooky stories, stories uh, shows I'll be doing. Uh, Sherry will be um, doing some uh, readings and presentations as well. In the Storybook Cottage. The and story it's just so cool. Like, kids can go and they... They meet unicorns, so they buy a ticket, and it gives them admission to the entire event. So everything that there is to do, except you know, obviously buying merchandise or food, is covered. Hmm. So when I went last time, there was face painting. I don't know if that's going to be happening because of the pandemic, but um, there's multiple unicorn opportunities. Um, the last time I went, I got to ride a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It was the best. I got to be a mermaidicorn on the Denver Nine News, you know, promoting the festival. It's just ridiculous. Like, if people can come, they should definitely come. It'll be worth it. It's all outdoors, um, very spacious, open air, and everyone's just so happy. You know, they're excited to be there and celebrate magic. And Derek, with your background in children's theater, I mean, that just gives you... Uh, an unfair advantage in writing char children's <laughs> characters, I got to say, because you don't have, doesn't take too much for you, I'm sure, to get into their characters and, and be that character. But could you talk a little bit about how children's theater helped you become such a good character-based author? Uh, I think um, the main thing being in children's theater helped me with was understanding how to create shows and experiences that were interactive. Because mm -hmm. uh, for when adults think of theater, they just think of sitting in a seat and having to be very quiet and watching a show and that's just not where kids minds are it's just not what something they can do like we try and teach it to them and but it's just not in their nature like they they want to be involved mm -hmm. and they want to help when they see a problem out there like they can't they want to shout out the answer to them and help the characters uh, so i try and make them as interactive as i can and then mm -hmm. i also uh, i think that helped me understand the idea of the the value of incorporate extending the book experience beyond the book so when you get to the end of my books that's not where the story ends it always has mm -hmm. a special secret little thing they can go to at the end that takes them to a website where they can play games solve more puzzles uh, uh ideas to write to me uh, unlock secret chapters uh, so i'm always trying to extend the experience beyond the book as much as i can uh, and in creating characters i think um I think it helps you when you just push your in children's theater, the characters are always very big, very silly. Uh, you're always trying to gauge, you know, you know, what kind of reaction you want to get. If you want a kid to laugh at a character, you want him to boo at the bad guy. Um, so you're always kind of, you know, ways to exaggerate characters. Mm -hmm. to, so kids know how to feel about them and not, you know, have a, have like necessarily the complexities that it would in like a grown up novel right. where they're having to really dissect things and figure out everyone's intentions. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. Almost like a goofy caricature of her life experiences yeah. so the kid can pick them up. Yeah. And and another part of your background, Derek, we haven't even talked about yet is you're 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 a screenwriter who's had several um have had several screenplays optioned. Um can you tell us about that for a second? Yeah, I think it all it's all part of my big writing writing banner. Uh, I have one uh, a horror movie that's in pre-production right now. <laughs> Uh, so I, I guess I can, cause I can, I know I know how to write horror from my kid's angle, but then it was like taking another step and making it, oh, maybe it's, uh, you know, something more in the traditional horror genre, uh, was something that was fun to do. Uh, I like to write comedy still best of all, though I have, uh, I had a screenplay called Cupid's that was, uh, optioned by Duncan Jones's, uh, company who did World of Warcraft. Uh -huh. <laughs> wow. Source code. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of a romantic comedy, but also very high concept and imaginative, kind of like my books are. Yeah, Derek is brilliant. He's super <laughs> humble, but he is he is so creative across the board, like from the kitchen. Like he he's like an amazing home chef. He's got all these incredible recipes, and I'm pescatarian, so he will make them pescatarian friendly for me oh. in such creative, amazing ways. The best food I've ever eaten. So during the pandemic, I did not suffer. Like I did not right. miss my yeah. <laughs> chef. You know, and he even writes music like Derek wrote me a song for our anniversary a few years ago. He played instruments on it. He hired a producer. He had our friends sing backup vocals on it. Like he made a music video like he's incredible. <laughs> you know, he does the editing for our audiobooks and our video books that we do called bedtime stories. He adds all these sound effects and music. He's just uber talented. <laughs> in every creative mm -hmm. way it's it's very inspiring to to be around him every day okay. <laughs> and and uh you know and as i said at the outset of the show these two when they're to, you know at a, at a school it's like the mm -hmm. scholastic book fair by themselves yes exactly. but i think i was selling you both short after hearing all of this <laughs> yeah, I think completely. between the two of us i think it's what 25 titles yeah wow. we're trying to do four or five a year though in the wow that's, that's depending yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, be, in between all your engagements, now that you get to go back out on the road. Exactly. Yeah. So what was it like throughout your all's journey um, through the, in the publishing world, I guess, to kind of break through that threshold, you know, and really start seeing success after, you know, struggling, triumphant, et cetera. So what was uh, that like? You know, exactly? I think it's still, to me, it kind of still feels the same. Like there's more books on the table, but I'm still scared every day. You know, I still really want my words to have an impact. And I think it's yeah. good that there's a level of nervousness about that because kids can relate to that. If I come out and I say, you guys, you know, I'm so excited to be here, but I'm feeling really nervous. Can anybody else relate to that? Like, I think um, people know, like, even though you've had success with books and people like them, you you always want them to fall in love with the new child too. You know, you, you exactly. still have that. Um, not that you need them to love it, but the most important thing is that we love it. And if we have the creative integrity in the book and we feel really um, excited about it, then chances are other people are going to feel excited too. And that helps me um, kind of overcome the, the scary feelings of yes. like, oh my gosh, like I got to talk about myself again. Or like, ah, you know, <laughs> I think most writers are introverts. So sometimes it's, it's like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable, but that's the best place to be, right? Because that's where mm -hmm. you grow. That's true. Yeah. For me, it was definitely, it felt like a very long, hard struggle. Like I was writing children's books pretty seriously since I was 15 years old. Yes. Um, I started, I started off writing kind of doc, 
kind of long, epic Dr. Seussian style stories. <laughs> Imagine Dr. Seuss, but like epic long stories. <laughs> and they just, I thought that was going to be my big ticket, but it's like, whoa, there's like, this is way too long for a children's book, a picture book, which is kind of like the style you're writing in. But like, I was so focused on that. Um, and so that those weren't going anywhere. And I finally, when Harry Potter came out, the first time I read Harry Potter, I was in uh, right after college and I was like oh this is what I need to be doing I was kind of too reliant on needing illustrations because like I cannot draw at all <laughs> uh, something you can't do really that's what I need to do I need to do something where I can just write my own create my own worlds and write my own stories I don't need anyone else's help you know uh, so that's so I started writing Mm -hmm. my middle grade books in my mid 20s and stuff and i was spent years kind of like editing them and trying to get them and try to find the right people to, right. to get them in a place where i thought they were ready to be submitted and then after that it took years to finally get an agent and i, I didn't get my first publishing deal until i was 30. imagine that like i had the books and i was really that's like 15 years of me thinking it was going to happen any day now uh and then that then of course in traditional publishing they have a long schedule so the Got the deal when I was thirty. It didn't come out till I was thirty-two. Right. So I had another two years of just <laughs> of waiting and waiting <laughs> or waiting around, and, you know, writing the other books in the series under contract. Luckily, that, that gave me something to do. But I felt like that was a long, you know, I I put in my my dues and uh, mm -hmm. and I'm trying learning the the craft and. Um, I was doing a lot of theater at the time and I'm thinking that might, that might be where I go. I didn't really know what it was going to, mm -hmm. what was going to happen. But once that happened, I was decided to, you know, make that my focus. All right. That's excellent. Yeah. It's going to be a good segue. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. So as someone who is a children's book illustrator myself, I was curious on what your all's um, process is kind of picking out an illustrator because obviously the writing has to be compelling and speak for itself and really reach the child. So I'm kind of curious. Um, obviously I went through your all's books and I was thoroughly impressed with the uh, illustrators you all picked. So um, I was kind of curious on what that whole process was like for you and um, how you guys pick an illustrator out essentially. Well, thank you. Yeah, I didn't know that you were an illustrator. That's yeah. so cool. It's yeah, always kind of nice to know talented people. <laughs> well, for me, like when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing, right? And I knew I needed a really talented artist. So I asked everyone that I knew, who do you know who might illustrate books or know something about art or be interested in this project? And then I went down the list and I talked to each one of them and I said, well, this is what I'm trying to do. I want to you know, help kids with their self-esteem. I have this right. children's book, you know, um, would you do a sketch, a character sketch? Mm -hmm. And so I gave, and, and they had a deadline. So some people missed the deadline. They didn't tell me they were going to miss it. So they were automatically out, right? Because if they can't negotiate a deadline, because exactly. I would have extended it, but if they can't let me know in advance, that shows that there's not going to be good enough communication. Um, keep in mind, it came from the business world. So I had mm -hmm. that kind of perspective oh, on absolutely. it. Business yeah. relationship. Um, and then, once I got the sketches, it's like if I had feedback on it, mm -hmm. if they could take that feedback and then convert it into something magical, mm -hmm. then that was great. Um, but not everybody could do that. You know, like I, I said, I really want this, like, um, there's a moment in the little rose where she's so disappointed, you know, she feels so down because she doesn't, she's not seen for who she really is. Like she mm -hmm. thinks she's the weed and she feels terrible about it. And I would, but I need the energy of the illustrations to remain hopeful, you know? I need the child to never feel emotionally abandoned. 
right, as the character. So not everyone can do that. Like someone came up with a um, almost a Tim Burton-esque look. And I'm like, well, that's really cool, but that's not the energy of this book. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the artist who did um, the artwork for my first four or five books, Mary Erickson Washam, she did thumbnail sketches of the whole book of The Little Rose. And when mm. I saw wow. that, I thought, I have to work with her. Like, this is amazing. Like, she gets it, you know? And so for the first five books, we, we created magic together. And then um, we started producing more books per year. Mm-hmm. And we needed a faster turnaround time, you know? So we started looking for a team, like a studio that could, if someone was sick or someone, you know, was out for whatever reason, exactly. another person could jump in and keep the project rolling along. But we'd have a project manager, a dedicated person that we would talk to. So it wouldn't be like we had to start over each time you know, with a new person. As far as we are concerned, we're dealing with the one person and then they're talking to the team. So we found this amazing team. They based in Macedonia. They were previously known as Lynx Studios. Now they're Bright Jungle Studios. And we have done so many books together. I've referred so many people to them because they are great. Like they, they know what they're doing. They do the cover art, the interior layout, um, oh. all of the press, the pre-press work they had done for the previous books. And it just was such a huge time saver for us because now that we're producing more than one book a year, you know, we have timetables like we have to stick to in order to hit, especially now with the pandemic, because printing is a whole wild card exactly. situation. Like you got to get your book in super early because you don't know when you're actually going to have it in your hand. <laughs> right, right. Very so, yeah. um, so it's been really great working with them because they were able to kind of go with that flow. And the reason I knew that of, of their existence was because a friend of mine had hired them to do her illustrations. And they had actually, for her book, done like three different angles of a scene. And I thought, what a cool thing to be able to turn the camera around, like, you know, and Absolutely. look at this thing. And so I knew that they could handle, you know, a level of sophistication that not every illustrator who's just starting out has. Um, so yeah, we've been really, really thrilled with them. Yeah. With well, the traditional publishing, uh, I had no say in the matter. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. right. I know. They have their own, uh, people they want to work with, but luckily they chose amazing people for both Scary School and mm-hmm. Del Perro Con Sobrero. Like I couldn't be uh, happier with the work they did. Uh, for my first books, yeah, like I had a friend who was, who I loved their art and kind of did very cool little whimsical things who did my first um, picture book that I independently published was Simon mm-hmm. in the Solar System. Mm-hmm. Um, really, Mary Gutfleisch did it, who became, then became like the most popular YouTube artist <laughs> named yes. Mary Doodles. And uh, then I've done a lot of books with her. Like she introduced me to the the animation studio. Uh, but then like some projects, like I feel like need a different kind of touch than that. So for next spring, I'm working with a great uh, artist named Travis Hansen on a book of poetry, kind of like a Shel Silverstein book of funny poems oh, that we're collaborating on together. So, uh, so you never know. You gotta feel like like oh, they, these companies write for a lot of books, but some sometimes I feel like they I want a different kind of uh, interpretation on things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think that you know the thing about both your book covers, both all of your book covers, but each of you is the type of writing you do these covers jump off the shelf i mean that's all there is to it you look at you look at any of your books either of you and you just want to buy it and you know and and i know and sherry's probably heard me say this before at writers conferences um a lot of a lot of people don't know that that the cover is at least 50 percent of a buying decision and that doesn't matter whether you're buying a children's book or a memoir it is true 
And, um, and it's, it's really difficult sometimes to get authors to understand that independent authors. And mm -hmm. but your your covers are just amazing. I mean, they I, I, I found can't, out I can't I say love, enough about them. I found out that I love art directing It's something I haven't done before. <laughs> but like the art directors, yeah, in the process and like, really, I, I get very detailed in my illustration notes. So like they, so you don't have to do a lot of edits and save a lot of time. So I'm very detailed in them about the cover and the interior art, what should be, what I'm, what my vision is and what, you know, what the characters look like and where they're, where they're placed. Uh, so I love that part of it. It's like a whole other part of the creative process that we get to be involved in now that I realize that I really love. Yeah. Well, and that's something, that's something about both of you also that I've come to know over the years is when you're out on stage, you're two kids having fun with kids and having the interactive experience <laughs> with kids and stuff. But you also are both incredibly detail conscious and oriented. And I mean, that that's I mean, that's the difference between great and good right there. Absolutely. How, how detail oriented you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, um, it's very hard to believe, but we are out of time. Yep. Can't, yeah. Unfortunately, we've already covered an hour. It's I could just, go all day. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, so once again, uh, you can find you can find Sherry and, and, and Derek's books on, of course, Amazon and other online booksellers. Mm -hmm. Their website is whimsicalworld.com. They also Whimsical have individual World sites. Whimsicalworldbooks.com. Uh, I'm you. sorry, whimsicalworldbooks.com. And then we have Derek TaylorKent.com and SherryFink.com. So they have individual websites as well. Mm -hmm. And once again, they were they will be appearing this weekend in Denver at the Unicorn Festival. They're headlining, which is absolutely amazing. And to <laughs> both of you, thank you so much for joining us. And and we were wondering if you could leave us by reading a minute or two from each of your books, just to give us a an experience of our own. Sure. Uh, I thought I'd read you guys a little bit from my newest middle grade, My Homework Ate My Dog. That's a great title. I mean. <laughs> I, I when I when I saw that book, I had to look at it twice. And I going, did, too. did they mess up the title? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Uh, yes, this one's exciting. This one just won a book award for best middle grade fiction of 2020. Congratulations! Congratulations. Uh, let's see. All right. Chapter four: The first day of school. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Monday morning, the first day of sixth grade. My digital watch read 7.52 a.m. School started at 8 a.m., but the halls were empty. I stepped into room 4B. Uh-oh. The first thing I noticed was that every boy was wearing gray shorts, a white collared shirt, black dress shoes, and a red tie. The girls looked the same, except in a gray dress. There I was, ripped blue jeans, old sneakers, X-Men t-shirt. <laughs> Not good. There was only one desk open in the middle of the room. I was eight minutes early, but apparently I was the last one to arrive. All the boys' hair was perfectly trimmed without one hair out of place. The girls had matching haircuts with bangs down to the middle of their foreheads. The ends were cropped evenly above their shoulders. I personally gave up on my hair long ago. It curls as tight as stretched ribbon and froze out into a perfect woolly dome, no matter what I do. <laughs> One good thing about my puffy hair is that it creates the illusion that I'm about three inches taller. That works out well, seeing as I'm about two inches shorter than most boys my age. I sat down and introduced myself to a neatly combed blonde kid sitting next to me. Hi, I'm Rudy Berkman. I know, I'm Bobby Waverly. 
I saved that seat for you. Thanks. Wait, you're my neighbor. Yes, my father told me to look out for you, and I have done so. Strange kid. Hey, I whispered, I, I didn't know the school had a uniform. It doesn't. This is how we like to dress. I laughed loud. <laughs> What's so funny, Bobby asked, completely serious. You're kidding, right? No kid would wear a tie because he wants to. Well, I do. We all do, right? Together, the whole class said, yes, Bobby. This was creepy. I noticed everyone was sitting up straight in their desks with their hands folded. Not one student was talking, chattering, giggling, eating glue, or doing anything. Don't worry, said Bobby. Soon you'll be like us. <laughs> <laughs>